Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today I'm here with Deb Curtis. How are you, Deb? I am great, Angela. Nice, nice to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I want to introduce Deb. Uh, Deb Curtis is a remarkable woman who has overcome many obstacles in her life and career. In the 1990s, she was told by her company's bosses that they didn't promote women, but Deb didn't take no for an answer. She kept pushing forward and eventually the all-male leadership team gave her a chance to prove herself. They said she could try being a manager for six months guess what happened? She did an amazing job. She outperformed all the other managers who were all white men. This incredible achievement earned her well-deserved promotion without the same, but without the same salary as her male peers. But that was just the beginning of Deb's journey in a business world, mostly controlled by men. After a successful year of career of 30 years, she decided to support other women starting their own businesses. In 2018, she created her very own small business just to do that. Throughout her career, Deb noticed how women and people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds often faced extra challenges. Sorry, I'm tripping over my words. She believes that these diverse individuals bring unique and valuable ideas to the world of business. That's why she works hard to keep them, to help get them recognition and opportunities they deserve. In partnership with the Small Business Administration, Deb helps those individuals take over and run successful established small businesses. She's a passionate believer in the power of diversity and is dedicated to changing the way we think about who who can own a business. Deb is a special way of connecting with people. She shares honest and professional stories that draw in and inspire everyone who listens. Deb is happily married and a proud mom to three daughters and four grandchildren. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So let's dive into this because I I love that you talk about diversity and inclusion. Obviously, that's a huge topic for our show, being the Pretty Powerful Podcast, and we are empowering women. But you know, one thing I do want to point out because we do have a lot of male listeners is that you don't have to be anti men to be pro women. And so that's an important distinction that I like to make because we're not about not supporting men. We're just saying, hey, we're going to give women a little bit of a, a, a step up because for so long it has been challenging to do that. So just like in your past career, you had a challenge of being able to, to you know, not being promoted and not being put into an ex, uh, a management position until you had to really fight for it. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of start there. Yeah. I, I love the fact that you are so cognizant that as a reminder to your listeners and to to our men, including my husband, who I I worked with in that company of 18 mm-hmm. years where they wouldn't promote me. Right. We're not here to um, be negative or or bash, but we are here to share with everyone that we still have work to do to mm-hmm. um, empower women 
and um, not be not allow us to still be dismissed because right. we, we want to climb. So starting with that first professional career of mine, um, I can understand uh, why perhaps I wasn't promoted due to the fact that I didn't have a college education on uh -huh. my resume. Okay. That, and in the nineties, in the, in the 90s, you might remember, Angela, that, that that was very evident. You couldn't even get an interview unless yeah. you had a college education. They would just pass you over. And that kind of carried over the next couple of dec decades thereafter. But today, I think we're a little more lenient about college education. It's more mm -hmm. about fire in the belly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love because, you, you know, you point that out. And it's so it's so true. Because in the 90s, I remember I was in high school and I was going into college. And I remember my mom worked at this this warehouse and they would pass her up time after time after time for promotions. And they kept telling her it's because you don't have a college degree. And so they would bring in uh, a male typically who, who could run the warehouse and they would, she would have to train them in their job duties because she knew their job inside and out. She could have done it in her sleep backwards, but, but because she didn't have a college degree, she couldn't she couldn't get the position, the promotion. And so they just kept her where she was, even though she had vast more institutional knowledge than anybody that they were bringing into the position. Mm -hmm. And so she was so adamant that I go to college and I get a degree because she didn't want me to be wow. limited in the same way, which oddly enough, I can tell you that, I mean, I'm glad I got my college degree, mm -hmm. but I worked my butt off to be, you know, on the Dean's list and this great GPA. And do you know how many times I've ever had to show my GPA and that they've cared about my Dean's list? Zero times, mm -hmm. zero times. Right. And oh. so, you know, I'm glad I got the degree. I'm glad I can check that box. But at the same time, I think that that was a particularly challenging time for women if you didn't have a college yes. degree. Mm -hmm. And as, as crazy as it is, I remember a a male friend of my husband and I, mm -hmm. he fluffed up his resume to say all of that, that you rightfully worked hard for, but mm -hmm. he fluffed it up and he even admitted it and put, yeah. his, put positions on his resume that he never really even had. Wow. And he, he got some pretty darn high <laughs> pain there up their corporate gigs. And we just shook our heads like, this is nuts. And that was in the nineties. Uh -huh. So um, you're right. Um, I, and I promoted college education to my uh, two older daughters when I was younger, because I didn't want them to go through what I went through. But it, it wasn't so much that the position back then in the nineties really needed the college education, but it was something that a lot of employers just put, you must yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. They had to check a box. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But for me, um, it was a finance company that I was working for and we repossessed cars uh -huh. um, and they didn't want women out in the field doing that because there were not repo companies back then we, mm. we didn't have cell phones in the 90s we yeah. had to make sure we had change in the car and i would go with my manager at the time um, looking for the vehicle that we had to repo because we were a finance company secondary auto finance paper is what we mm -hmm. put on the books and um 
call, find a local payphone, drop the coins in the payphone and call your local tow truck guy to come meet you yeah. on the corner of such and such. They didn't right. want women doing that, but mm -hmm. I was already doing it. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm already doing it with my boss, my manager. Right. And, um, so they did okay it. And, and I'm grateful for that, Amanda, because I didn't have that college education on my resume at the bottom, but that promotion at the top showing my results over 18 career that I managed a team of people and was promoted um, as a woman. I paved the path for other women to get promoted in that company. Um, and that led me to other, um, that led me to other uh, avenues with, within um, um, my career as far as promotions. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. 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 So well, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it is, it's challenging because when we're trying to fight for roles and there's one thing that can hold us back and it's something like a college degree or it's, or it's, you know, a lack of education or a lack of certification in certain areas. Um, it, it does weigh on us because there are times in our life, you know, especially if we start having children younger, it's a little bit more challenging to go to college, you have kids to raise, and you you kind of have this guilt of, you know, I can't really set my family aside to focus on my education. And so, you know, the younger you start having children, I feel like that that can also make an impact on the ability to get like get a college degree. And I'm not saying it can't happen because there are definitely so many instances of people who are doing all of it, you know, single parents or, or married or whomever, and they're going to college and they're, and they're getting it done, but it, it is much more challenging. Ooh, it sure is. Yeah. And, and I think about the 18 years with that first career, um, I had my two daughters and went on a very, very, very short-term maternity leave because the benefits for, for yeah. women uh, that were working in corporate you just either took it with no pay or mm -hmm. saved up your two weeks of vacation and your sick time. And my two oldest girls are a year and a half apart. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So I used up all my time with the first one, Angela. And mm -hmm. then when we were expecting a second time, I came back to work. I kid you not within a week because mm. I had to, or I didn't get paid. Yeah. Um, isn't wow. that crazy? That's, That's what crazy. We, we went through that. And, yeah. and, and I think today men and dads are taking more of the approach and now there's more benefits. Like my husband works mm -hmm. for a big bank and they, they offer the men now today, like 16 weeks of pay. If they that's have amazing. Paid. That's yeah. huge because I think that that's given men the opportunity to come in and contribute to that because for so long, even if they wanted to, they didn't get any leave. You know, they'd have to take sick days. They'd have to take personal days, but they didn't get any time to spend with their newborn. And so they were missing that ability to, to create that, that nurturing connection. And so I think it's wonderful now that companies are doing things like that, because I think it really is bringing some balance to the, you know, the pressure of that, that newborn phase. Yes. And I'm hearing the same for uh, women, the the mothers too. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to take it all 16 weeks at once. You can split it up a couple of weeks a, a month because that first year, two yeah. years of 
bonding with your little one that's huge for mom and dad yeah yeah You've come a long well, way there right we have my <laughs> goodness well and then you have all the doctor's appointments and you have the sleepless nights and the the you know when you're going through things it might actually help to have that banked time to go back and take another week as you need it your daughter yeah. has a fever of a hundred mm -hmm. you got to pick her up right now yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> So, so talk to me a little bit um, about your past, because I know that your life mantra is God, grit and grace. And I love that so much. So tell me about where that came from. It, it all started when pretty much growing up. Um, I didn't really know. I knew there was a God when I was a little girl. because mm -hmm. My parents were married and we were uh, Catholic. And my mom, um, every Sunday would make us all sit in the front pew and mm. we would get to church early and Lord have mercy. If we missed that, that front pew, it was going to be a long Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but I didn't really understand much at the time. Cause I was only nine years old and, but I knew there's something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, and my parents were married young and then um my mom got involved in in drugs uh and in just the wrong set of people where my parents ended up getting divorced mm. and then my mom uh abandoned me and there were threats along the way um where i couldn't tell my father but my father only had like every other weekend a chance to see me uh, that's wow. the way the judge had set it up and mm -hmm. over time being the youngest of three, my two older sisters were moved out. Um, and then the oldest one would come home. Uh, for, she was in the military locally, and she mm -hmm. would come home on the weekends. And, and, and every now and then she would see the house was just going to pot. Mm. I can tell you everything that was ugly about it. It's just another sad story of children in our world that perhaps live with parents that have a lot of challenges and they're growing up in those atmospheres. So over time, my sister finally let my father know what was going on and I was abruptly given custody to my dad. And yeah. then it was a two hour or two hour, a two year court battle for my dad to win custody of me. So by the age of 12, I had to be the one testifying in court against my mom for wow. abandoning me. Yeah. So that's rough. Yeah. Then right then and there's when I started to just kind of talk to this bigger, this bigger something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as I got older in life, I, I, I often reference, I looked for love in all the wrong places. And my yeah. first, first marriage ended up being to an alcoholic. Mm. And uh, that was an ugly story, domestic abuse. I bailed him out of jail. And that was during the 18 years of that first corporate professional job that I so wanted to be promoted. Yeah. And they didn't know anything about what was going on at home because, again, we women put on a facade that we do. It's fine. Everything's I, great. Yeah. I we can handle it. Right. Yeah, we we think promoted. we can handle it. Yeah. I need to get, you know, but, it, but you don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you something. I have to share this little sidebar, Angela, yeah. with you. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. That's my social media platform of choice. And I, uh -huh. I, I will tell these stories 
either I write them or I'll do a, a short video. And I told a story about um, my father and how, and gosh, it was a year ago with Father's Day coming up, uh -huh. uh, about how he rescued me twice uh, when I was abandoned from my mom and then through the domestic abuse with my first husband. It was on Father's Day. Um, so I lost my train of thought there for a minute because I was thinking about my daddy. Where was Aww. I going? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> darn, I had a really good message to share. Oh, I'm so sorry, young. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we'll come back to it. It'll come back. Yeah, It'll come back it to will. you. It so, will. so when you're going through this, this, you know, uh, what you're dealing with with your mother how hard was that when you were little um so when when you say she abandoned you were you basically raising yourself at that age and you just were afraid to say anything yes she she was very bipolar mm -hmm. very threatening mm -hmm. and i learned at that age um i walked to school yeah and um i learned to be invited over for friends uh, in the subdivision we lived to be invited for dinner. Mm -hmm. I just learned what to do. And then I ended up getting a small cash job cleaning apartments for elderly widowed ladies. Um, the local grocery store recommended me. They're like, there's this nice young lady, you know, maybe oh. she can help. And I would ride my bike and buy their groceries for them and clean their apartments. So I had some cash and I, I just knew how to make it at that age. She would take off mm -hmm. and she'd always leave me on my dresser, a little eight pack of hostess donuts and say, I'm, I'm going to be gone for a while. Here's some donuts. Remember, don't say anything to your dad. And wow, um, I couldn't say anything or I would be in trouble. But the funny yeah. thing was, is I was the only one living in the home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I well, any, I didn't know any better. Yeah. I just, At that age, you're very impressionable. And somebody tells yeah. you, you know, don't do this or you're going to be in trouble. You don't know what trouble means, right? Like, does this yes. mean I'll go to jail? Does this mean she'll go to jail? Does this mean I'll be, you know, yeah. beaten? Like you just don't know. You don't and, know. Yeah. And so fear is what really kind of keeps you, in that kind of captivity of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. So, and then I do, you're, go ahead. I do remember telling our, our, my dad, he would drop me off every other weekend and I would just bawl my eyes out when he pulled out of the driveway, trying to hold it in before he would leave. Cause I didn't mm. want him to know, mm -hmm. I was upset. but he wouldn't come in the house cause it wasn't his house anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So your dad picking you up was kind of that like safe space of, you know, my, my dad has me now yeah. I'm, I'm safe for the weekend. And, and yes. then, you know, and then you go back to this other life mm -hmm. where you're, you're having to figure it out on your own at a very young age. So, so then the impact that that has on you, um, I'm sure when you go into your first relationship, the chaos of alcoholism felt comfortable. That was, that was normal for you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It just, it felt like it, it really did. It just got uglier. Right. Right. And, yeah. and I felt responsible for him because if I was the breadwinner, I, I had the money coming, he couldn't hold a job mm -hmm. and I didn't want my dad to know either. I hid it mm -hmm. from him as well mm -hmm. as my employer. So it, what happened, and I'm sure you get this yourself, just listening to me, 
I was abandoned and not loved when I was young. And then basically just dealing with, I was looking for love again in all the wrong places, mm-hmm. finding myself people pleasing my way through life. Right, right. Well, just like with your mother, you know, if you can just do what she says, it won't be as bad, right? And so the same thing with the husband, if I can just do what he says, it won't be as bad. If I just keep it to myself, it will, you know, it'll work itself out. And, uh, and unfortunately, with alcoholism and, and abuse, it tends to only get worse. I was in a an abusive marriage, my second marriage. And it was one of those things where it's you start realizing, you know, your your brain is tricked into, you know, this fear based learning, right? And so it's like, okay, well, I can't say this, or this will lead to worse things or the gaslighting and the manipulation. And, you know, you start to think you're, you're crazy, right? (laughs) Like I I must be the crazy one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So true. It's so true. And I've learned, this is wild, but being a guest on podcasts and going back when people question me, the host yeah. it really triggers a lot out of me that was, has been buried. And that could be why my mind just like stopped that uh-huh. trigger mechanism. I don't know. Sure. I'm not, I'm maybe it is. That's why I had a, a default moment earlier here on your show. Sorry, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, <laughs> but, but that's what happens it you know thoughts will come and the old me wants to just like don't bring that up and just pound it back down but it's healing it's healing for me to be on your show as a guest so i want to thank you for that because i'm having more aha moments um i have learned that i always thought i was an extrovert my whole entire life yeah. And I, I will, I, I just turned 56 years of age. I'm, you know, wow. I'm well, you look beautiful for 56. You're a doctor. I mean, you look beautiful for any age, but oh, yes. yes. <laughs> I like to say I'm a cool and hip grandma to my grandchildren. Yeah. They're, little ba- they're little babies, but this people pleaser that I always, well, I should say retract that the extrovert that I always thought I was, was actually the people pleaser in me. Mm. I'm mm-hmm. really an introvert mm-hmm. that people pleaser came out because I want to make everybody happy. Like you right. hear me say, I'm sorry a lot. Sorry. That's still in me because mm-hmm. of fear of did I, what's going to come at me? Am, mm-hmm. am I going to lose somebody? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that I really am an introvert that was pretending to be an extrovert with that people pleasing character. And I'm trying to heal that. Right. Still. Well, think about it. I mean, Angela, mental illness wasn't talked about until recently. I mean, no. in the 90s and, and no. decades after, if my employer found out that I was seeing somebody just to talk to because of my mm-hmm. rough childhood and first marriage, I got a target on my back. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, because they would think that you're not stable, right? You're you're unstable. Even though now, like, you're applauded for going to therapy. Like I, you know, in the dating world, if somebody had had a traumatic childhood and they hadn't gone to therapy, they're not dateable. They're not dateable until they figure themselves out. Yeah. But yeah, right? because we all have things that we need to work through, and it's just that that vulnerability that allows you to start healing. And if you're not willing to be vulnerable, 
vulnerable and, and transparent and really just put it all out on the table, then healing cannot happen, right? So the the first step is is acknowledging that there's a problem. The second step is making act, you know, taking action to solve the problem. And I want to bring up something that you said. You had said that, you know, you, you apologize a lot. So I recently gave a keynote speech for women, um, for executive women, and it was about how to stand in your power and 15 tips to stand in your power. And that was one of them. Stop over apologizing. Every time you over apologize, you give your power away. So, you know, instead of saying, I'm sorry, say thank you. So I'm sorry for being late. Thank you for waiting. Right. So stop saying I'm sorry, because what we do is we put ourselves in a vulnerable position of weakness and we allow the other person to take the power of, you know, being being the righteous one. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're asking for um for grace, not mercy. And so that's another tip is just, you know, ask for, for grace. Don't ask for mercy. I'm not asking you because, because when you ask for mercy, you're saying you are more powerful than me and you have the ability to destroy me. And I'm asking that you don't. And in grace, it's I'm equally as powerful. I made a mistake as you make mistakes. And let's just see eye to eye that this is going to, you know, we can get through this. And right. so, you know, grace, grace over mercy and, you know, power over apologies. And I'm not saying people should not apologize. I think that there's power in the apology itself. But when we over apologize for existing as women, and we do this all the time, you know, we're constantly apologizing, we're constantly in that, um, in that, that weakness state, we, we give our power away pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah. so stand in your power. Don't apologize to me. You don't owe me anything. (laughs) I'm learning still at 56. And I think I'll always be learning. We're always learning every single one of us. We are all a great big work in progress. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I do want to share with you that my, my mom who abandoned me, mm-hmm. she did miss a good 50 years of my life. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, um, she called me uh, living in a, in a one bedroom efficiency drug home but not Mm. doing drugs she's 76 at that time now she's 80 and we had to move her in temporarily with us my husband and my children and 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 she's bipolar she was adopted she's had a rough life she has polio a curvature of the spine and there's a lot of reasons why she was into drugs and alcohol for her own past Mm -hmm. um she was given up when she was a baby because of the polio and they just left her on a fire station um, um, stare when wow. she was a baby. So that's something you see in the movies that mm-hmm. really happened in, in Chicago for her. So she never had a family and um, at, and she abandoned me for that long. And we took her in and it wasn't easy because I had to yeah. learn how do I do this? But here's here's the beauty in it all. I forgave her and we have a relationship today. And oh so grateful yeah so similar to you saying you know there's power in not saying i'm sorry right saying Mm -hmm. as you mentioned um give me give me give me the give me grace grace, yeah grace Um, yeah forgiveness sets you free 
It really does. Absolutely does. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you don't get apologies, do you? So sometimes, you know, the person may be sorry, but they just won't say I'm sorry. And so it's forgiving them despite the apology, despite that, you know, and so it's like, I didn't get it, but I'm still for you, I'm going to forgive me. I'm going to forgive you. That's for me, exactly for me, I'm going to it. forgive you. That's yes, exactly it. I mean, mm-hmm. she never once said I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and and I don't know really what was going on in her mind and and in her eyes and in her past. I have assumptions and ideas, but we can't right. do that. But the good news is she's part of um, the grandchildren. They're, That's they're good. Greats and yeah. So there's some beauty behind that journey which absolutely is- so so the part of that that i i want to talk about is god you know so yeah. you talk about grace and mercy and and we talk about you know forgiveness and and obviously this goes back to religion and mm-hmm. and like you i had a very transactional relationship with god when i was younger you know i would pray for things to be okay i you know yeah. pray i could get home safely you know because i was walking home late at night from practice and I needed to get home and my mom worked all the time. So like she, she was working. um, So I was kind of raising myself too. And not, not because she had a band, she was just working three jobs and I just, you know, it was just what it was. So I would just pray constantly, but it wasn't because I really understood religion. It just, it was a transactional thing for me at that time. And it wasn't until I got to be an adult that I really developed my faith. So tell me how your faith developed in that and, and everything that you were going through. Yeah, that, that's where I think I had that pause. Um, so I, as I mentioned, it started with, with the, as a child, the Catholic church, and then, you know, the first husband, um, we didn't go to a church, but because that first marriage was so difficult with, with the domestic abuse, mm-hmm. I started to pray hard and probably more transactional like you like big yeah. time transactional i'm like okay now if you really are who right you are right you gotta right. help me because i married this man and that was a vow for better or for worse it doesn't get any worse than this at least for me right <laughs> you know, yeah this is, yeah this is my life on the line and when the police department says they're not coming back to to our apartment because uh, i won't learn my lesson that i need to leave this is my life Mm. So I prayed more to him, but wasn't going to a church. And finally, after three attempts of leaving him, my dad, who rescued me from my mom, rescued me from my first husband and got me out of the situation with police and my big old Uncle Joe, who's still Mm -hmm. alive today. And he's my favorite Uncle Joe. Every woman out there needs an Uncle Joe. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And um um then i that 18 year job that i was working at one of the men that i had beat with performance just went through a divorce and recognized i was going through a divorce and he asked me out but i I, on a date and i turned him down several times and finally i agreed it was valentine's i agreed Mm -hmm. and that is my husband today 30 years later to wow wow before he started to date me 
he was a very big Christian. Christian really? Faithful man. Yes. Went to church all the time. Um, and if we were going to pursue our relationship in the early days, it was a must that I was, a, you know, well born again and believed yeah. in God. And he would, you know, he wasn't like this put it all in your face, but that yeah. I do believe that there is a God and I have a relationship. So <clears throat> I did because I prayed all those years for God to help me and for God to bless me with a family mm -hmm. that I never had as a child and that I never had with my first marriage. And when I say a family, just just some type of a normalcy, you know, not, yeah. aban not abandonment, not domestic abuse. That's not normal, a normal family. And it took years, but it, God answered my prayer mm -hmm. with that man in that 18 year um, first employment job. And here we are 30 years later and, and God's still blessing me. I have four baby grandchildren all under three and, and two more on the way um, come fall. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So that's where my faith finally locked in. And we were going to several large churches. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have our faith. We still go to church. I sing on worship teams. Um, uh, I love, I love God. It, he, he really helped me. That's why my sign says God, grit and grace. Mm -hmm. He really helped me get through all of those times and that relationship grew greater with him and right. he, he blessed me with, yeah. with my husband that i have today well and what's wonderful is that a lot of times um putting your faith in something outside of you and your family and you know what you've known and looking at things from a, a different perspective allows you to break the cycle so a break the cycle of abuse, of abandonment, of alcoholism, of, you know, all the things that you had dealt with throughout your life and you learned what love was from toxicity, you know, having your faith outside of, you know, people yeah. allows you to break a cycle because when you realize that, you know, what, what grace does in your life and, and forgiveness does in your life and, and you put your faith in something bigger than what one fallible human can do, then that's when we were able to finally break cycles. Yeah. I mm -hmm. like that. That sounds really. So how has your faith shaped your mentoring of, of women and people of color and the minority population, um, how has that shaped how you mentor? Yes. First and foremost, I am very public about my faith, just regarding my stories. There's mm -hmm. so, there are so many stories that I share um, when the time is right, even if it's a similar story, because my clients or, and other women will, will share their stories with me. And when I can connect with them and tell them what I've been through, it kind of brings us together. And I believe that God sends me the people that I should be working with. Yeah. I really do. Um, you know, these are people that are, are that do love God. Mm -hmm. and, and there have been clients that were like me curious about him and sometimes 
uh, the road to to acquire a business with financing, it's not easy. It's not like a very one application you're done. It, it takes time mm-hmm. and a lot of patience. And um, I've had clients that knew I was in stronger in my faith than perhaps they were. And, and they've become stronger through the process where I always tell them, you just gotta have faith, just, yeah. just have some peace, say a prayer you know, God is faithful and, yeah. you know, they like it, they listen, but then when they really need it, then they'll tell me, oh yeah, this time I, I was, I listened and I prayed and yeah. Yeah. So, um, I will teach that to my clients based on just my testimonies. I, I'm not a preacher by any means, but mm-hmm. I am, um, I can say I'm a sinner cause we all are, right. but I'm, for, but I'm forgiven. Mm -hmm. And that that's really the message. And I want my clients to know that I carry honesty, integrity, and full transparency. Mm -hmm. Because I want to go to bed at night with a prayer Mm -hmm. and and sleep sound that I remained who God made me to be. And that's uh, right. Not somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that, that'll get you in trouble. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I agree. So, so tell me what obstacles you've kind of, you've had to overcome in your journey, because I know you worked at one company for, for 18 years and I know what those obstacles looked like, but when you decided to go out on your own and you started your own small business, what kind of obstacles did you encounter when you're starting your own business? Yes. And, and there, I'm still encountering them. Uh-huh. Um, I chose to my, I chose my business to be in the same industry that obviously I know from corporate America. I always was in, in small business banking and small business lending, uh-huh. SBA lending. I always supported small businesses. So I have grown to really love and appreciate small business owners. Um, through those experiences, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And over time, uh, as an SBA lender, there's several different credit requests. You can you can ask for a loan to start up, brand new, ground up startup. You can ask for working capital for a loan uh, from right. a bank that does SBA lending. But then there was this transaction called you can acquire and establish money-making business mm-hmm. that's selling today. And I found over time, I found over time, Angela, that the business acquisition transactions, loan requests had a better ratio of approval because they were just stronger. Profitable. Yeah. There was yeah. already money there day yeah. one versus yeah. a startup. So, um, through corporate, it was a very male dominated industry. And then business brokers, when I was working in corporate, that's a very strong male dominated industry. And what I realized in corporate was not only was it internally very male dominated, externally as well. And what I mean by that, um, the applicant that was applying to purchase finance and establish business, the majority of the applicants have been white men. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. Just because historically they've been the breadwinner. Historically, Mm -hmm. they are the ones that have been working over the decades. 
you know, they are the ones that have been promoted, right? Mm -hmm. um, the majority of a lot of industries are run by male managers in the past. So those are the ones today still that are acquiring small businesses. And as a female trying to navigate working with business brokers um, wasn't always easy. Mm -hmm. They, they um, some, I don't wanna say all, some just didn't give me the credibility just because I was a woman and it was odd for a woman SBA lender to be calling them to work with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I also noticed that even on the several different teams at various employers that I worked with, um, the majority of my peers were men and they also some would cherry pick, so to speak, who they wanted to work with. Um, if a woman called or, or maybe a certain um, minority demographic would call for a business loan or to buy a business, sometimes they wouldn't even call these people back and we're mm -hmm. talking women. So I recognized that, okay, I need to do something here. I need to split off on my own when that time comes and, and support women um, I, I, I'm diverse. My business is diverse. I will help everybody, but I have a passion to support women and people of color to help them find a way to acquire these businesses and become the small business owner um, versus just what is the norm, which is our white men mm -hmm. that have come from corporate, from promotions. So that's my story. Um, I established my business in 2018 on a part-time basis, just kind of easing my way into it. And now I, I, I have been fully fledged at it on a full-time basis. I help out men, I help out women, I help out everyone, but my passion and voice on, on shows like this and in webinars is to mm -hmm. educate women number one women and then all um all gender and all all backgrounds mm -hmm. um, for fair and equal fair and equal opportunity um we have to do better and and I, you know i'm not blaming the men it's just that we need to do better i want to see our government come up come up with some kind of an education program for women and maybe all other minority populations to learn how to purchase finance these established businesses because 11,000 baby boomers are retiring a day. Yeah. And that's going to continue for the next five years. We call this the silver tsunami. It's the greatest wealth transfer in our country ever. Wow. Because uh, we're all living longer. And out of that silver tsunami are baby boomers that are selling their 20 year profitable businesses and SBA will do the financing that that's what I do for my buyers. So I want to level the playing field, if I may, uh, to allow more opportunities for women and in the minority population. So so if somebody's looking to buy a business, what do you suggest they look for in a business? Yeah. Um, my suggestion is first and foremost, talk with a business acquisition specialist mm -hmm. or an SBA lender, but make sure that the SBA lender has experience with these transactions because they're very complicated. You know, the typical norm, if, 
if you Google up, how do I buy a business? Mm -hmm. Google will tell you, go talk to a business broker, but the business broker represents the seller. So right. I don't find that a good place to start. It's, I, I look at it like a first time home buyer. You know, would you just, if you wanted to purchase finance a house, would you just go to all the open houses and pick your favorite one? Cause you're going right. to pick the one that you can't afford. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, the same applies to being a first time business owner talk with your lender or talk with a business acquisition specialist like myself, find out how much would you qualify for? Cause mm -hmm. businesses sell for 250,000 up to 5 million and higher. Yeah. Uh, and, and the SBA will finance the small and the big, large companies like that. So talk with the lender first, find out what you qualify for. In mm -hmm. addition, the lender should be looking at your resume to kind of see, you know, what, what, what industries do you have experience in? Do you know how to manage people? Do you have a right. love for people? I'm, as a business owner, you got to have some kind of love for people mm -hmm. managing personalities, right? People first. Uh, and then once you have an idea that you qualify for this certain dollar amount and this, these various industries that you're interested mm -hmm. in that match with your experience then we go to market to find the business that qualifies for sba financing because the business cash flow based on the tax returns that's what the underwriter is looking at to make the payment for your purchase finance transaction right yeah and um again the business brokers will tell you everything great about that business because they're, they're going to make an income when they sell it. Mm -hmm. But your lender, your acquisition specialist is on your side and they're, they know what's going to qualify with the SBA underwriting process. Um, so that I highly recommend start with um, representation on your side mm -hmm. and, and, you know, zone in on what you qualify for. Otherwise you're going to be shopping for the wrong stuff and, and be told a, a ton of stuff from brokers that it's the best sliced bread and the loaf that's on the market. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, every, I think it's important that everybody do their due diligence, no matter what, because yeah. whether you're buying a house or a business or, you know, a car, you, you need to do your due diligence and do the background because it's kind of buyer beware. You don't want to get two years into your business and realize that, you know, there was some significant issue that should have came, come up, but didn't. Yeah. And, uh, and now you're dealing with repercussions of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Do you think today, I, I mean, I know my husband does just like small business service businesses. Um, I made the mistake last fall and uh, we have a new fireplace we put into our home. So I, uh -huh. I just called as a woman, uh, a local small business to order some firewood. And they told me the price and they said they would deliver it on Monday. And I thought, this is great. I can't wait. And then my husband came home the same day that I ordered it. Yeah. What did you, what did you pay for it? That's the first thing he asked, what did you pay for it? And I told yeah. him, he goes, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> What does he do? He calls uh -huh. them and they drop the price way down. Wow. I'm like, so why is that still 
happening? I mean, this was just last fall. And I'm like, I'm like, my husband's always like, don't call for anymore. Let me stuff. I'm like, really? I'm like, but why? Why does it have to be that way? I just Well, so I think that there's there's two ways to think about it. Number one, I think people there are some people who will always try to take advantage, right? So whether it's a woman answering the phone or an elderly person or True. you know, my son is 16 years old and he owns his own business and he has challenges with people taking him seriously or giving him a good price on things. Now, he's a very savvy 16-year-old. He's owned his own business business for three years now. That's so, I mean, he, he's a smart kid, but I will usually go behind him and make sure that whatever pricing he got was fair. But I am also a big believer in negotiating. And I think women can be absolutely the best negotiators because we're a little bit more disarming. They're not expecting it to come from us. But anytime I used to negotiate for cars, um, I'm actually the person most people will call that are, you know, my my ex-husband, my my mother, <laughs> they'll call me to come negotiate their cars because I I, I will negotiate and it can be disarming, but I, uh, I think that it, the better negotiator you are, um, yeah. and the, you know, kind of, you can be disarming with it. You don't have to go in there and strong arm, arm them, but you can be, um, strategic and strategic negotiating is very important. And so, and, and with negotiation, I feel like everybody wants something out of it. Right. And so as long as you can figure <laughs> out what, what do they want, right. Mm-hmm. They want to make a sale, but you know, what is it that, you know, you want, you want the firewood. And so it's like, how can you give them what they want, but you get what you want at the best price and they may give up something like, Hey, what, how much would it be if I picked it up? Because maybe they just didn't feel like, you know, maybe they didn't have a driver that day and they'll give you a great price if you just come pick it up. And, yeah. you know, so it could be just something similar where find the way to, ang- you know, find the angle. I used to say everything is negotiable um, yeah. or go into a mattress store and I'm usually going to walk out paying half of what they have listed. <laughs> <laughs> so everything is everything is Man, negotiable. My husband would get along with you. He's the negotiator. Everybody, everybody that needs a car calls my husband mm-hmm. to do all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there's power in it. I think there's power in asking good questions. So like, I think it, it all comes down to the questions that you ask. And I always say, if you want a great answer, ask a great, great question. And so if you can go in and ask really good questions about and find out exactly what their motivations are, then you can negotiate pretty well. Yeah. Good <laughs> that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love your strength. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I could, if I could have a third of it, I, I, I would stand tall. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> I think this comes from my mother who, you know, like, like you, I was left to kind of do a lot of it on my own. And again, it wasn't because she was doing anything out of malice. She just wow. always had to work. My father had not been around. And so, um, you know, he chose to leave when I was two. And so yeah. left three, you know, wow. two little girls and a, and a, you know, mom to figure it all out. So we did. And uh, we're, we're tougher for it. But you know, we haven't made we haven't done everything right. That's for sure. So what, um, what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, boy. 
I'm, I'm, there's a lot going through my mind right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, you need to believe in yourself. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, take action sooner on something that doesn't feel right. Oh yeah. That's really great advice. Yeah. Cause I, like you said earlier in, in the show here, you, you just want it all to work out. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes it's not gonna and mm-hmm. recognize that sooner than later, whether that's in your personal life or in your professional life, your corporate career, even if it's a business, if it's not working out, some of the best business owners today failed probably three times prior. Mm-hmm. Yep. So but true. you know what the key was? They recognized it sooner and got mm-hmm. out. Yeah. We yeah. all get start overs, right? Uh huh. All the time. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what we do as women. We give people the benefit of the doubt, but we do that too much. We sometimes you just can't do that. You just sometimes you just have to see things for what they are. Mm-hmm. You're looking right at her. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. Um. So as women, we give our power away all the time, you know, and this is one of the things that I talk about on the show. So what in what instance do you feel like you gave your power away? And I mean, I know that we've done it a million times, whether it's giving somebody credit or allowing them to take our, you know, voice away or whatever that is. Yeah. Um. Tell me about a time that you gave your power away and another time where you stepped into your power. Yeah. I gave my power away in corporate America too many times mm-hmm. simply by quitting. Yeah. And that's giving away your power because things just weren't going right. You were passed over for that promotion. You, you know, you just, there's several reasons why, and you just quit and you just, you know, cry baby about it. And I quit too many times. So I gave my power away and I should have stood up with those hands on my hips and, or said, let's talk about this. Right. I, I don't like what's happening. It's not fair, but let's talk about this. Um, so the last corporate stop of mine, I didn't give up that power. I didn't quit. Mm -hmm. I didn't give up my power and it was very evident the HR department was well aware and even admitted in writing to me that there was disparate treatment and and it was um, unfair to me as the only female on the team yet again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It happened with the first job, but they promoted me. So they did it the right way. The final job, it didn't work out that way. I didn't quit. Um, I, I, I did seek counsel and received help through that process. And I have to give him a lot of credit because his words to me were don't quit. Mm -hmm. You know how many times I wanted to quit. I hung in there as long as I could and left on my terms. Good for you. Good for you. That's awesome. So, um, so tell me, what would you, uh, what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew especially women, that there are opportunities out there for them that they need to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to continue to um, work in corporate, or they can continue and work in corporate by acquiring 
a small business. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me, Angela, that so many just don't even know that this is an option. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wish our country would do a better job at educating women and minorities. Our men know, but even some of the men don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, we, we have to do better with our education whatever mm -hmm. that is. And here I am the one preaching earlier. I didn't have the college degree. I'm talking about education as in opportunities. You know, well, what I, we should be watching that on, on the news at night. There should be stories about these great baby boomer businesses, small businesses, the heartbeat of America, you know, the companies that give to your son's baseball league team, mm -hmm. they give back to the community. Yeah. We should be talking about that there's this big turnover and transition and they need new owners and women are great at managing people. Yes. You know? mm -hmm. And they can move in and transition in to own these companies. Um, if, if I would have known what I know today, I probably would have a little portfolio of three to four businesses yeah. with, the, with the SBA. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can even do this as you know, you can own a, a you can work in a full time position and then still go own a small business. And so, you know, that's, that's something that people don't really realize, they think it's right. all or nothing. And you really can do both. It's it's challenging, you're going to sink some time into it. But at the same time, I think it's doable. And um, I think that entrepreneurship is the, the greatest pathway to wealth in the country and the opportunities that our country provides um, are amazing, but they're just not talked about. And, and that was part of the reason that I even started the Pretty Powerful podcast, because I didn't feel growing up. Um, now, I grew up in an inner city area. I grew up with a single mom who worked all the time, um, but I did not hear about opportunities in entrepreneurship. I didn't hear about, you know, franchising and small businesses, and that was just not part of the conversation. And then even as I became an adult and I started, like I started my first business when I was 23, really didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of, it was a default, you know, by accident business, mm -hmm. but I started it. And, um, and then I just didn't know what I didn't know, right? So you make all these mistakes. And I, I would go to men and men weren't always the best resource for me. Now I've, I've been very, very blessed. I have some really incredible male um, mentors in my life and I'm very, very grateful for them. But wasn't always working out, you know, and I didn't have women to go to. And so, you know, when, when your conversations with your friends, right. As a woman, I call it the bus stop conversations. The one that you have when your kids are little and you're waiting at the bus stop and yeah. the moms are all there and they talk about, you know, what is little Johnny doing this summer for vacation and what sports are you, what sports are your kids playing and, you know, what's going on, you know, with the HOA and the, you know, yeah, oh, the right. bus driver's going to retire and the teachers yeah. are this. And, and it's almost like you're afraid to say anything about like, Hey, I'm going through some things with my, my business. And I'd love to talk about it. You're afraid to say that because you feel like, you know, you're so far in left field from where the typical mom conversations go that you're like, yeah. I'm going to lose them, right? I'm going right. to lose friends because I'm going to be the outlier. And so you're, you're afraid to bring it up in the bus stop conversations, but it's on your mind. And, and you're like, I need, I need to be able to vet some thoughts. And, um, but having a safe space to do that is challenging as a woman. 
because it's not our natural conversation, right? Our natural conversation is kids, school, teachers, community, and husbands, but we're not talking about finance and business and loans. And, you know, we're not talking about that and we should be, you know, and this is where we can elevate the conversation and why, you know, I want to feature women like you who are out there doing great things for, for women and, and helping them to see what the opportunities are. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wonderful what you all just said, because I think of me doing what I'm doing in an all male industry. Sometimes these brokers, when I talk to them, they're like, who is this girl? Yeah. <laughs> like they're not used to it. You know, they're right. not, they don't believe in me. I feel mm-hmm. that too. Like, does she really know what she's talking about? Listen, I'm not a know-it-all, but I know enough to do what I'm doing for my clients because I did it for 20 years in corporate. Um, you know, sure. that you can't learn in school. They don't teach you how to purchase finance and establish business in, at mm-hmm. college universities. They just don't. You learn yeah. it as, as you go. Um, so I think, I believe we're coming around the mountain though. And yeah. there, there are more women business brokers and more women. We're coming around the mountain. Mm-hmm. For sure. I agree. Yeah. Well, this has been such a pleasure, Deb. I've really enjoyed talking with you. So tell me, how can our audience find you? Oh, sure. My, my website is my name, debcurtis.com. Uh-huh. And uh, my email is deb at debcurtis.com. Um, my favorite social media platform of choice is on LinkedIn, but mm-hmm. all my social channels, my handles at Deb Jojo Curtis. Um, okay. my, middle, my middle name is Joe, J-O, so it's Deb Jojo Curtis. The grandkids call me Jojo instead of grandma because Jojo just sounds better. Well, it's a cool, it's a cool name. So yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Deb. You've been such a pleasure to talk to. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And um, you, everyone can see us on the prettypowerfulpodcast.com. And if you go to prettypowerfulpodcast.com, you can also see Deb's links will be on there as well. So you can always reach out. So thank you again for your time today. I've truly enjoyed it. And I wish you nothing but incredible success. And thank you. Likewise, Angela. All right. Bye, guys. Have an amazing day. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.